Well, it's a joy and privilege for me to be here. I am really sad that uh, Aaron couldn't preach today because he works very hard on all of his sermons as he's learning and practicing to preach. Um, What he does is that he usually prepares a month in advance or even more than that. He'll, He'll open a Google Doc and share with me. And he'll do all the work. He'll study. He'll start drafting an outline. He'll start putting stuff in. And I'll just comment and suggest along the way. So when he told me that he couldn't preach, it just made sense that I took all of all the comments and suggestions that I made that he didn't apply, put those in, print out his thing, and here, voila. So, so it makes sense that I, I preached it. I'm just kidding. Um, I did pray for you and think of some application for you. But I am building off of Aaron's outline and some of his content so I uh, do want to give, uh, give a shout out to Aaron and credit him for that. Now, I want to start today by having you, having you um, consider a, a question. And that, that question is, I want you to consider the voices that you have given authority to in your life. These are the voices that shape how you think, how you feel, and how you live. And these are formative voices. We call it formation because... It's a process. As you go through these years of your life, there's various voices vying for your attention, trying to get you to buy into a narrative, trying to influence you to think or feel a certain way. Some of these voices are good. Some of these voices are bad. Some of these voices are in between. And whoever or whatever these voices represents, my question then is, do these voices, including mine, I'm about to give you a message this morning that I want you to buy into, but do these voices cause you anxiety, or do these voices shepherd your soul? Do these voices bring clarity to your thinking and your feeling? And I'm not really talking about bringing ease to your life, because there are good things in your life, like when you read your Bible and your Bible calls you to repent of sin and to grow in your faith, that's a challenge. When your parents challenge you, when your school challenges you to grow in knowledge, these things don't necessarily make an easy life for you, but it's different from an unhealthy anxiety that causes you to stress out for things that are not that important in life. You know, when I was in high school, and I'm pretty old, (laughs) this really is me, this is not Aaron, okay? Uh, But when I was in high school, there were four major formative voices of authority in my life. Four loud voices that shaped how I thought, felt, and lived. The first one, obviously, were were my parents. It was my parents. Whatever my parents said, obviously, you live with your parents. Your parents raise you ever since you're a baby. So your parents have a huge influence in your life. Secondly, it was my school. And by school, I'm not talking about my friends at school, because that's another category. But specifically, the classroom instruction that you would receive information and knowledge that you would receive from your teachers, starting from one plus one equals two, all the way up to high school chemistry and calculus and whatever it is that you study. There was information that was forming my thoughts and my life. Thirdly, it was my church, but I wasn't a genuine believer until my senior year of high school or late into my junior year, but my church gave influence to my thoughts and my feelings and how I lived. And fourth, this was my, these were my friends. The fourth group would make up my friends. So the friends from school, friends from sports, friends from your extracurricular activities. For you, it might be your SAT school, your 
tutoring center, your, your music, your dance class, whatever it might be. You have friends that they speak into your lives, they influence you, right? These are four loud voices in my life. My parents, my school, my church, my friends. But three of these categories are what historically would be considered institutions. Institutions, your parents represent the classical institution of a family. A school would be an institution. The church would be an institution. But your friends, we don't refer to your friends as an institution. Your friends are what you call a network. It's a network. And when I was in high school, I didn't have the internet until my senior year, but it was like a, or junior or senior year, it was like a dial-up AOL. You, if, don't look it up. If, American Online, don't, don't even look it up. If it's, not, it's a waste of your time to try to find out how we got connected. But really, my network of friends was limited to school and sports and real life people that I would meet. And it was even limited to my community because most of my friends were from the town that I grew up in. That I grew up in school with or who I played basketball with. But for you, you live in a different world. And I, I want you to consider then that your greatest shaping, yeah, there's the institution, family aside, and if you're a Christian, there's church, but it's really going to be your network. Because when you consider your family aside, so yes, your parents are your biggest influence, but outside of that, when you consider church, how much time each week do you give to church? And I would say, unless you're serving or unless it's some special mission trip or retreat, probably on average, if you're normal, four to five hours. And that's for those of you who are committed and active. Think about the formative instruction and let's say three hours. So when you're talking about formative instruction, maybe on Friday night, Kevin or someone else, Pastor Kevin or someone else will preach for 45 minutes. Then during Sunday school, maybe at most 90 minutes in Sunday school. Then maybe another 45 minutes on Sunday during youth sermon. Now, I'm not really good at math, okay? But when you add that up, it's approximately maybe three hours or maybe exactly three hours. So compare that, though, to all of your screen time. And if you don't have a phone, that's great. But, but all, all of your screen time, all of your social media voices, all the voices on social media, everything on your social network feeds that come at you each and every day. And even what your friends tell you. So let's just say that your parents limit your social media intake and what your friends might tell you. Hey, look what I read. This is what, I, what I, I saw online. This is what showed up on my feed. Take a look at this video. All of that is going to come at you. And as you get older, it's not going to get any less. It's going to keep coming more and more and more. And I get it. It comes at me each and every day. It comes pretty strongly. Each message that you scan, read, or watch, or hear is trying to win over your thinking. It's trying to entertain your feelings. It's trying to win your allegiance at different levels. And so social media feeds are filled with competing narratives vying for our attention. And if we're not careful, it's going to drown out the most important voice. If you're a Christian, the most important voice is the voice of Jesus. And so many of these voices, I think when there's too many voices, it creates anxiety. And we live in a world of anxiety. But it's very interesting that the world wants you to think that the voice of religion, and in specifically 
Jesus is not a religion. He's the redeemer. That, that the voice of Jesus would cause you more anxiety because he gives you a set of rules to follow. If you want to be a Christian, follow 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. But if you understand the gospel, that's not who Jesus is. Jesus does give you a code of conduct. He does give you a lifestyle of works, which he helps to grow you in. But most of all, he calls you to himself. And so Jesus, when you hear his voice, it doesn't give you more anxiety. It actually leads you to green pastures and peace. And so the title of this morning's message is The Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd. I apologize for this. Well, maybe I don't, but this is going to be a little bit of a, what we call in our world a counseling sermon. Okay, so Jesus is the Good Shepherd. Meet me now. Um, you can pull it up in your bulletins. It's on the screen. If you can advance the slide, I think uh, we'll have the passage there. First point is point number one, the sheep. The sheep, and you'll see the passage right there for you, okay? And, uh, but we've already read it, so I'll just point out a few things. This is a famous passage where Jesus uses a parable of the good shepherd to refer to himself. And this comes right off of John chapter 9, which if you've been with us, Jesus heals a blind man. He heals a man who was blind from birth. And the religious leaders, because this blind man refuses to condemn Jesus, the religious leaders are harsh to this this blind man who's healed, and they cast him out of the temple. But Jesus goes and finds this man, and Jesus becomes this man's good shepherd. And so this parable is really meant to teach us that the shepherds of Israel, Israel's religious leaders, were harsh to the sheep. And they weren't really God's people. But Jesus is the good shepherd because he really does care for the sheep. And so the blind man is able to see that Jesus is the Messiah, but the religious leaders remain spiritually blind. And so in many ways, they are blind shepherds. And if you're a blind shepherd, you cannot lead the sheep. And that's the bigger picture that's going on. But what you see here in the passage, and it was read to you, so I'll just refer to a few things once again. Notice in verse 1, is this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold. Right? So, this is referring to God's people. God's people, and you can say in the New Testament context, John's audience, this would be the church. And that would be me and you. That we're sheep. You might not like it that Jesus refers to us as sheep, but that's not a bad thing. That's not, the ba- that's not a bad thing. Okay? Is that we are sheep. And he repeats again, verse 2. Right? He says, the sheep. Then in verse 3, right? He says, the sheep hear his voice. And he calls out his own sheep by name. We are sheep. And then in verse 4, once again, towards the second half, the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Notice the colors. My favorite college, the University of Michigan. Don't ask me why, but that's their colors. Okay? So those are Wolverine colors. Go blue. (laughs) Go big blue. But anyway, no, actually Aaron chose those colors. Aaron chose those colors. And so there is a a Purdue alum in here, so I want to rub it in his face. Michigan is the better school. (laughs) All right. But anyway, so point being that we are sheep. Now, why would Jesus describe his people as sheep? Not only are Christians sheep of God, but really the human, in the way that God designed us, we are sheep. Because sheep are what? Vulnerable. And we know that Jesus is using a spiritual metaphor. And so sheep are physically vulnerable. They're vulnerable to wolves. They're vulnerable to being stolen. You can, don't do it now. Your phone should be off. But, but if you Google shepherd and sheep, you'll see sheep doing the funniest things. Do you understand the sheep, like 
they don't have long legs like us. Just don't look at them. Don't laugh, okay? But they have these tiny little pegs. For, and, and you know if you push sheep over, how do they pick themselves up? They can't. A shepherd needs to pick them up. Sheep also need to be shaved. There's a better word. They call it shearing sheep or something like that. But let's call it shaved. Because sheep get this nasty, oily uh, wool. Is that what you call it? And, you know, these flies will, like, lay eggs. That's gross. In their wool. And if they're not clean, they'll just get diseased. Sheep can't clean themselves. Because whereas you and I can reach, how do you take a bath or bathe yourself if, if your hands are like this and your feet are like this. You can't. So you need a shepherd to bathe you. And sheep are the funniest things. You can like, go, okay, if you leave them to the cliff, they'll just run off the cliff. They're not smart enough to go, oh, that's a cliff. They will just go off. because they're. I don't know why they're like that. You know how it is when you and I were like, we shouldn't eat too much or, or we shouldn't do this, but then we keep doing it to our detriment? Or we make the same mistakes over and over again. Spiritually, we're like sheep. You, you'll see these funny videos of like sheep running around a pit. <laughs> Don't Google it. It's gross. Right? They're running around a pit. And, and you'll literally see a shepherd. Or do it later. And a shepherd will like pick up the sheep, pull them out of the pit. And then, and then you'll see the shepherd chasing the sheep around. And the sheep will run right back into the pit. And you know the sheep can't jump. And the sheep can't get out of the pit. So think of that spiritually. Okay? That's how we are. We are emotional people. We are vulnerable people emotionally, mentally. That's why there's such a thing as mental illness or emotional disease, right? Because we are like sheep. And so Jesus refers to uh, his, his sheep as part of a sheepfold. And then notice that it says uh, there's, a, there's a gatekeeper, right? So sheepfold, what is that? A sheepfold is an area usually in a courtyard or beside the house and it was common for several families to store all of their sheep in a sheepfold, and the sheep would be there at night. And so it's usually a fenced-off area. There's a stone wall, and there's some type of fence to guard the sheep from running out, and they would have a hired hand. So you're going to see that language come up, a gatekeeper, a hired hand. And that's not the shepherd. The shepherd's most likely sleeping because the shepherd will have his turn with the sheep, and the hired hand is like a paid security guard, that shepherd, that, uh, I mean, hired hand, doesn't really own the sheep, doesn't really care for the sheep. They're, they're paid to just make sure wolves don't come in. And most importantly, they're made sure, uh, making sure that thieves and robbers don't come to steal the sheep because sheep have value, right? So that's where they stayed. So even the sheepfold, it's a vulnerable area. Sheep are vulnerable. And so you understand that, that, that it says that thieves can come in to steal, kill, and destroy sheep. Now, God's sheep also, I want you to recognize verse 4, or verse 3 and 4. Uh, look again at verse 3. It says, To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. So that's the, the, that's the, the shepherd. Right? So they actually recognize the voice of the shepherd, and this is for real. Verse 4, The sheep follow him, for they know his voice. So as, as silly and as unsophisticated of animals that sheep are, they're able to recognize the tone, the voice of their shepherd, where if a stranger comes and calls them, they don't come out. But when the shepherd comes, they actually can recognize the voice of the shepherd. And so Jesus is making a metaphor that those who recognize Jesus are his sheep. That when Jesus comes preaching and teaching, like the blind man who couldn't see but believed in Jesus, those who could recognize the voice 
that Jesus is the Messiah, those are the true sheep of God. And the Pharisees, notice I underlined for you verse 6. It says, this figure of speech Jesus used with the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Why? Because they weren't sheep. They were wolves. They were thieves and robbers. Different metaphors you could use for them. They were evil shepherds. They were not the true shepherds of Israel. They weren't spiritually aligned with the word of God and they did not recognize the Messiah of God and they rejected the voice of God. They rejected Christ, but the true sheep understand understand Jesus. So the sheep, that's point number one. And the spiritual message is the sheep need a shepherd. I want to go back to this topic of anxiety and authority. If someone doesn't have authority over your life, I don't know how they would cause you anxiety because you can say, I don't care what you think or feel. Your parents can create anxiety for you and your parents can create a healthy anxiety, a healthy pressure when they try to train you and guide you and lead you and parent you. But here's another thing is that sometimes you give authority to certain voices that shouldn't have authority in your life. Certain influencers, certain public opinion, popularity contests, maybe what your friends think, maybe it's not that important. Maybe what certain organizations want to say or think that are not that important, it's not authoritative, but you might give it the authority because you want to either be accepted or you want, to, you want people to buy into you, whatever it may be. It could be as simple as the person, the guy or girl that you like. You give them authority. Why? A certain sense of authority because their opinion of you matters to you. So whether they like you or accept you or not, that creates a sense of anxiety. And so the more voices of authority that you have coming at you each and every day, the more anxiety you have. That's the world we live in because we're sheep. Also, there's a lot of good ideas out there. There's a lot of good ideas out there, but not every idea is good for you. And so how do you even discern what are the good ideas? What should you be when you graduate from college? What should you do? There's so many options, various opinions. You need to learn to listen to the voice of truth. And the greatest voice of truth is going to come from people who shepherd you. First and foremost, that's Jesus Christ. And secondly, your parents and then, and then your pastors and teachers and disciples and so forth. Right? Sheep need a shepherd. Earlier, I mentioned many voices that shape us. And I, I do want to make a difference. Now, once again, say there's a difference between anxiety caused by unnecessary sources versus, and versus difficult challenges that make you stronger. When you listen to Christ, he will cause you to be stronger. And it's not necessarily going to be easy. But if you trust him, it is good. He leads you to green pastures. You're going to see that. You see, why is this important? It's because the Pharisees were selling a hypocritical religion and they were not offering true redemption from sin. They were creating deep spiritual anxiety for the people who wanted to please God. And so that's going to lead to point number two. If you'll hit the slide for me, point number two is the evil shepherd. So you have the sheep. The sheep need a shepherd. You have point number two, the evil shepherds. And we're going to go uh, out of order in terms of the passage order a little bit. So you have the evil shepherds, and that's going to set up for why we need the good shepherd. The opposite of evil is good. Jesus is the good shepherd. Well, there's a problem that Jesus comes to address is Israel was under evil shepherds. I mentioned today that we are in a 
networked world. For those of you who are nerds like me, somewhere along the line, I couldn't play sports anymore. I became a nerd. Nerds are great. Nerds run the world. Don't ever make fun of nerds. You're going to work for a nerd one day. If you're a nerd like me, there's a recent book written by Mark Sayers entitled The Non-Anxious, Non-Anxious, A Non-Anxious Presence. And in that book, in one of the chapters, Mark Sayers writes about how we're moving, we're, we're in a shift of an era and COVID-19 kind of, that pandemic kind of flattened the world and, sh- and revealed this shift, is we're moving from a world where power dwells in centralized institutions and now it's moved into a network. There's a decentralization of power, meaning power goes out to everybody with a cell phone or access to social media where previously the voices of influence were controlled by institutions, family, school, universities, churches, media, I mean official media like the news on TV, but now everybody has a voice and so you see this globalization and this decentralization of power. I, th- I think it's fascinating for some of you nerds. You should read that and understand what kind of world uh, we live in. But that's also why we have a super anxious world. But, but for, the, for the Jews of Jesus' day, it was really different. They, ca- they didn't care less about the various voices of culture. For the Jews, they didn't care what the Greeks and the Romans cared about. They cared about the institution that matters to them. They cared about an institution. That's why in the introduction I mentioned institutions is they cared about their church, which at the time it really wasn't a church. It was the temple system. It was the, Jude- it was the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. They cared about being able to go to the temple to buy a sacrifice with whatever money they had left after taxes and to give a sacrifice so that the priest could say, okay, your sins are forgiven. And they could go back into Jewish society, which was another institution, and be approved. And that's how they got their social standing. They were socially accepted if the religious institution deemed them spiritually clean and acceptable. So the cool group, the, 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 the group that made them socially acceptable would have been the religious leaders. That's very different from our day. You can go to school and you can tell your friends, especially those outside of the church, oh, well, here's what my pastors think. And they're like, we don't care what your pastors think. But imagine going to Jewish school back then and saying, my rabbi and my priest, they said that I'm good enough. Well, that's great. That's what they needed in society. And they wanted to be attached to the greatest rabbi. That's the language of discipleship. You're a disciple of who? Who's your rabbi? Who's your master? Well, this rabbi. And that's what gave them value back then. But instead, the Jewish leaders, they set up this hypocritical system where they oppress the poor. They oppress those without power. They wanted everybody to follow them. That's why they're so mad at Jesus because the crowds were starting to listen to Jesus. And so they wanted the crowds to follow them And they wanted their own positions of power and privilege. They wanted to stay on top. But there was a decentralization happening, not really, but similar, where the people were starting to listen to a different voice of influence. The people were starting to, there was a network movement where their voices rumbling. Hey, there's this guy who comes. He teaches like none of our teachers. He teaches like none of the scribes and Pharisees. His name is Jesus. 
He teaches with authority. He heals the sick. He healed the blind man. Even the blind man refuses to condemn him and is believing him. So the, the Jewish leaders are jealous and they want to kill Jesus. They want to cancel him. They want to eliminate him. And they want to kill and eliminate anybody who would follow Jesus. And so the earliest, you see this early form of cancel culture where they took the blind man and they cast him out of the temple. And when they cast him out of the temple, in other words, you will not be approved. We will not put you back into society as spiritually clean. You are a social outcast. You're out. And so he's out, but he's following Jesus. And that's what happened last week. So these are evil shepherds. And if you can understand that, flip the slide for me. Notice, please, uh, notice verses 7 to 10. Here's what happens. So Jesus says again to them, the, the Jewish leaders, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door, another metaphor, of the sheep. All who came before me, those are the religious leaders, not just of Jesus' time, but in the Old Testament, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them, meaning the true sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and all will go in and and out and find pasture, meaning they will find rest. They will not be overcome by unnecessary voices of authority that make them overcome by anxiety and depression. Instead, they will find pastures. What is that? They will find pastures. They will find, like a sheep, they will find grass to feed on. They will find rest. They will find water that satisfies their soul. They will find what their hearts were created for and they will find that in God. Verse 10, but the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life. And so that's the pastures. The green pastures are life, abundant life in God. Have it abundantly. And so right here, we know based on Old Testament reference, which I'll show you in a minute, that the Jewish leaders... Jesus is referring to the Jewish leaders as thieves and robbers. And they just want to steal and take from the people of God. They wanted to take their money, their offering, and their sacrifices. They wanted to take their allegiance in return for nothing. They wanted the people to follow them. But they weren't going to shepherd the people's souls. That's the problem. Right? That's the problem that we see. Aaron Lee wrote this. Quote, in our passage, so this is from his manuscript. In our passage, Aaron writes, Jesus promises an abundant life. It means supra-abundant in quantity and superior in quality. In other words, you will be full and you will be satisfied. End quote, Aaron writes. So the pastures that the good shepherd leads you to will satisfy your soul where you'll be full, not with the opinion of man, but with the quality of life in God. So these religious leaders, they were not leading the Jewish people to God. And I mentioned institutions in the beginning. This institution was crushing the people. And so in verses 8 to 10, Jesus says, but I have something to offer you. All who came before me, they are thieves and robbers, but I am the door. I am the door to salvation. I am the door to, to the true peace in your soul. I am the door to life. I'm the door to God. Now, if you'll flip the slide for me, please. In Ezekiel, and I've said this before, you know, who is the greatest hunter in the Bible? Easy kill. Okay? So you'll never forget that because of that corny joke, right? Easy kill. He's the greatest hunter in the Bible. All right. Anyway. Ezekiel 34, 2 to 6. Jesus is referencing Ezekiel. 
And he's basically shooting at the Jewish religious leaders. And it says this, Son of Man, who Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man in John's Gospel, Son of Man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones. I think, you know, the Bible would be canceled in today's culture, right? But you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. With force and harshness you've ruled over them. So they were scattered, like sheep being scattered, because there was no shepherd. They became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. So the Lord basically in Ezekiel, he rebuked the Jewish leaders of Ezekiel's day for for failing to shepherd and care for the flock of God. And now Jesus, he's using this imagery of a good shepherd while rebuking the evil shepherds, the Pharisees, who have left God's people scattered to the point where the Jewish people can't even recognize God. They can't even recognize the Messiah. If you'll flip the slide for me, please. If you'll notice, and that's why I'm saying we're jumping to the end of the passage. We'll come back to the rest. But if you notice at the end of the passage, it says, there was again a division among the Jews of these words. Many of them said, Jesus has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of the one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So the people are confused. They don't understand the words of God. They don't recognize the Messiah of God because their shepherds have not pointed them to God. The purpose of a shepherd, the purpose of a pastor today is to point people to Jesus Christ. Amen? Yes or no, right? But, but if the shepherds are not doing their work, then the people will not recognize the shepherd. They will not know about Jesus. They will not be prepared for the coming of Christ. They will not understand the words of Christ. And so the shepherds of Israel have failed, have failed miserably. And that leads to point number three. Point number three is the good shepherd. So we've seen the sheep. We are sheep. Sheep are vulnerable. Sheep need a shepherd. We've seen the evil shepherds who have, instead of shepherding people to green pastures, they've created anxiety and have pressed down upon the people with their institutional voice of harshness and religious authority. And Jesus comes and he's the good shepherd. Now I want you to notice, and, and there's a lot of verses, but it's really making a very simple point. And there's two points, two reasons why Jesus is good. Jesus, why are you good? Why are you so good? He's good because he's not a hired hand. And he's good because he dies for his sheep. It's repetitive. You'll see this. You can flip the slide for me, please. Notice first in verse 11. I'm just going to go in verse by verse. He says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's why he's good. Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd because he's willing to die for the sheep. Notice the contrast, verses 12 and 13. A hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, right? He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, he does not own the sheep. 
sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Give you an example. Let's just say someone comes in here today and says crazy things to you guys. Let's say someone, some crazy guy comes in here or a crazy gal comes in here and says, Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And if Kevin and me just watched. <laughs> We're just like, that guy's pretty funny. Hey, everybody take a video of this guy. This is hilarious. And then we just left you guys. Yeah, come back and speak again because you were hilarious. Now, we would be horrible shepherds. Or let's just say we said, this guy's kind of scary. And we just ran away. And if your parents came to us, then why didn't you guys say anything? Why don't you guys defend the sheep? Oh, because we're just paid to do our job. That's not a shepherd. That's not a pastor. A pastor cannot look at their job as just, oh, I'm paid. So I clock in and clock out. A pastor says, I've been entrusted God's people. And you are God's people. So if someone comes in and starts telling you spiritual trash, it is our job to take out the trash. Okay, to remove that person and to confront that person, and to come and tell you, and to teach you, what that person was teaching you is not true, it is wrong, it is deceptive. Now, I've used kind of a humorous illustration, but that's also why your pastors are going to say things to you that are not very popular with society, and not really cool. And your pastors are going to teach you things, and going to try to tell you, the world is trying to tell you that all these different messages are offering you happiness and joy, but they're lies. Because they're just going to leave you spiritually and emotionally empty. But what you need is Christ. Who you need is Christ. What you need is the gospel of Jesus Christ and scripture. And that's what your spiritual leaders and your teachers, Sunday school teachers, that's what they're going to try to lead you back to green pastures. But a hired hand only sees their role as a job. And so when the wolf comes, when danger comes, they're going to run away from you. They're not going to speak the truth to you. They're not going to want to deal with the bad guys. They're not going to want to confront false teachers. And that's like the hired hand. When things get tough, the hired hand says, well, I'm done. I'm off the clock now. I'm gone. But it's very different when someone takes ownership in a good way over you. And this includes your parents. Your parents are going to come. Right? And then verse 14, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own. My own knows me. Notice that Jesus knows each of his shepherds by name. He says, I know my own. My own know me. I know each one. Verse 15 and 16, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. It's repetitive. And I have other sheep, meaning the Gentiles outside of Israel. They're not of this fold. I must bring them in also. I'm going to save non-Jews. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, the church of God, one shepherd. Verse 17, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Right? And so verse 17, for this reason, the father loves me. I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Jesus is going to die for his sheep and he's going to rise again. Notice that five times... Jesus repeats that I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 11, verse 15, verse 17, two times in verse 18. I'm going to lay down for my sheep. If you didn't get it, Jesus, what are you trying to say? I'm going to lay down my life for you. I'm going to lay down my life for you. I'm going to lay down my life for you. I'm going to lay down my life for you. I'm going to lay down my life for you. He's repeating himself. And then finally in verse 18, no one takes it from me. The Pharisees think that they're going to kill me. The Romans think that they've crucified me. But I lay it down on my own accord. 
I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again, meaning I'm going to die according to my plan, my father's plan, and I'm going to rise up again. And this charge I've received from my father. So the big idea, if you'll flip the slide, the main point is that Jesus is the good shepherd because he leads, who leads his sheep to life in God. And actually Aaron crafted this big idea statement. I thought it was excellent. I just kept it. Jesus is the good shepherd who leads his sheep to life in God. He's different from the evil shepherds or the many other voices of authority in your life that try to distract you. Again, I'm not talking about your parents or spiritual leaders who, who, who are trying to point you to Jesus. I'm talking about other voices are trying to lead you astray. Instead of those voices trying to influence you, you must listen. I must listen to the good shepherd. We must trust that Jesus leads us to true green pastures. Jesus is the good shepherd who leads his sheep to life in God. And how he does this is that he dies for us in our place. And so because we're like spirit, because we are spiritual sheep and we have a sin problem, we could not deal with our own sin problem. Jesus had to go to the cross to die for us. You know why Jesus is qualified to be the good shepherd? Because he had to become one of us. It seems kind of funny. He refers to us as sheep, but he becomes the lamb. He becomes the lamb of God. He becomes one of us, yet he's sinless. He goes to the cross. The lamb of God takes our place. He becomes like a sheep, but he's, he's not like us. He's better. He's sinless. He's the perfect sheep without blemish. He is the perfect lamb without blemish. And because he becomes the lamb of God, he becomes our shepherd. If you'll flip the slide for me. Aaron wrote into his manuscript a beautiful conclusion where he points to the book of Revelation, and I thought it was fitting. And notice in the book of Revelation, now, you see lamb and shepherd in the same verse. Look at how it's going to be like in heaven. It says, For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So yes, life is going to be hard, beloved. Life is not going to be easy. Life is going to come with trials, physical trials, disease, physical ailments, spiritual trials, emotional trials. School's hard. Relationships are hard. Life is not easy. And Jesus doesn't lie to us. He doesn't say, if you come to me, I'm going to make life super easy for you. Because that would be deceptive. Okay, I'm going to be a Christian now. I'm going to come to Jesus. And I'm going to have my best life now. There's preachers who preach that. Those are liars. Those are evil, false shepherds who tell you that your best life is now. Those are false shepherds. Jesus is the true shepherd. And what he tells you is that if you come to him, life is not going to be easy, but he will what? Walk with you. He will guide you. He will give you rest. He'll give you this emotional rest where you can surrender to him and find peace even when you're surrounded by a world of chaos. Jesus doesn't promise that this world is going to get easier, but he promises himself. So when does he give us the pastures of true, easy rest where we're finally like, okay, this world is fully at peace and we now I'm fully at rest. Well, it's when we get to heaven. That's the context here. So when, when you read Psalm 23, when it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I will lead you to green pastures. That's where we want to go, isn't it? That we want to be with Christ. Then eventually, we want to find rest in Christ now. 
But then eventually we want to be with Jesus in heaven. We want to be with him forever in his kingdom, in his future kingdom. So for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That oh, The only time where there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more hardship is when we get to heaven. And so Jesus tells you the truth and he offers you himself. But, but he doesn't just say, okay, life's going to be hard. He does the hardest thing. He gets crucified on the cross, nails through his wrist, beaten, naked, hanging up there in shame, rejected by the world. But then he raises again. He dies. Jesus does not call his sheep to do anything that he himself does not do first in a worse and crazy and exponentially amplified way which is he went to the cross to die for us. He becomes the Lamb of God so that his sheep could follow him to those green pastures. He truly is the good shepherd. So if you'll flip the slide, big idea once again, Jesus is the good shepherd who leads his sheep to life in God. Please, if you don't know Jesus, receive Christ. He came, he died for our sins, he rose again, and he's coming again. If you repent of your sins, if you ask him to change you, he will. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till you're done with college. That day, you keep telling yourself that, I'll take Jesus seriously when I have more time. You're not going to have any more time because you're living on his time. You're living on borrowed time. His time is today. He has sovereignly called you to sit in these green seats today in this pray center so that he could save you. For some of you, he is saving you now. He's drawing you to Jesus now. Believe in him now. And if you have any questions, you can talk to any of your counselors. You can talk to Pastor Kevin. You can talk to any of your spiritual leaders after service and receive Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you are truly our good shepherd. You come to restore our souls. You come, Lord. We are surrounded by anxiety. We're surrounded by many voices. We live in a world full of anxiety, but you came to give us rest. But that rest comes through yourself, through you, through your death and resurrection, and through where you are leading us to heaven one day where there will be no more tears, no more pain, because we'll be with you. Father, I pray, Lord, for anybody in here who doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that you would save them, that you would bring them to Jesus Christ. And for those of us who do know you, Lord, how easily we are prone to wander and be distracted. Will you lead us, Lord, back to your green pastures? Will you lead us back to your word and to still waters? Will you lead us to yourself? Thank you, Lord. Help us to live for you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.